Well, good morning. How you doing? 9 a.m. You guys awake? All right. You're like, I'm, I'm the night owl, and so 9 a.m. is early for me. So if, I, if my brain isn't quite awake yet, uh, uh, that's me. But you guys, I know, most of you are, you're like, nine? I, normally, I've been up for four hours at this point, right? Yeah. And your kids have, too. So anyway... We are glad to see you. And uh, let me just say, as you look around, there's a little bit more elbow room here. We pulled some chairs out of the back, which is good. And here's what that means. This is a fantastic opportunity for you. Hopefully, you've been praying about those in your life, your circle. We have a saying around here, a value, my circle, my responsibility. And we believe that every follower of Jesus is called to live their life as ministry and to be praying for those in their lives that don't know Jesus yet or maybe aren't connected with a church family. And so what a great opportunity to love people, to pray for them, to serve them, and then to invite them. And let's fill this space back up. And then also, I just want to echo what Jason said, which is as, uh, as we add a service on Sunday, um, we already, our ministry team is a little bit light on volunteers, and now we have really a need for people who would have a heart to just pray with others and, uh, and be there for them. And so we'll, we've got a training video. We'll do some training for you, and uh, we'd love to have you get involved if you haven't. And in the meantime, if you are experienced prayer and we need and you see there's not ministry team up here, just come on up, okay? Um, I know there's lots of you out here that have been following Jesus for a long time and are sensitive to his spirit. All right, cool. Hey, if you are here for the first time or joining us for the first time in a while, we are in the book of John. We've been preaching through the book of John for a while. And in just a little bit, we're going to be in John chapter 14. And uh, to get us where we're headed, let me just tell you a little bit about um, me. So back, I went to an organization out of high school called Youth with a Mission. And uh, a lot of you know why we am Youth with a Mission. It's the largest non-denominational um, missions organization in the world. And uh, I went and I did what's called the Discipleship Training School. And I did that. I figured, man, I need to go suffer for Jesus. And so I went to YWAM Maui and did my DTS. I know you feel sorry for me. Uh, I did go to Thailand on, on outreach, uh, which was a little bit more rough. But uh, anyway, in on Maui, we, uh, we lived in this little like hippie town, Paia, and uh, we had this little kind of Hawaiian shack, couple bedroom house, but kind of dilapidated old house that they were renting. And my, I had a roommate there, so we had bunks in, in this little room. And my roommate was from Sweden. He was this tall, lanky guy from Sweden. His name was Olaf. And um, it was so fun connecting with him, getting to know him. We became really good friends. Um, it was funny because he came from Sweden, so we had like vastly different um, like views on life, and he just couldn't wrap his mind around the fact that we here in Western Colorado own lots of guns, and uh, maybe you don't. Uh, I do. Uh, I <laughs> come, come on, guys. Right? We we like guns. Uh, so most of us, and uh, and he just couldn't wrap his mind around that. He was like, "How in the world?" Right? And, and so, um, but what I loved about it was the connection we had. And like the fellowship, even being from these different countries, what like knit us together was our love for Jesus. And he was such an encouragement to me. He would, you know, encourage me in my walk with Jesus. And you know, what's interesting is after that time, I kept up with him for a while, a couple of years, some him and his wife one other time. And uh, then we just kind of lost track of each other. And it's been years and years since I've spoken to him. 
And what's interesting, I think, in YWAM, what I've discovered, because I went on to spend lots of time in Youth with a Mission in lots of different countries and different training schools and, and things around the world. And the way a lot of that is structured is so that every three to six months, typically, a school or a missions opportunity usually lasts somewhere in the neighborhood of three to six months. And what that means is a lot of people you make a really close connection with, and then three to six months later, you don't see them again. Which is kind of cool because you have friends all over the world right now that you can call up, you know. Uh, but then it's also kind of hard because you, you kind of connect at a heart level with people and then they're gone. It's easy to begin to close your heart off to people, to hold people at a uh, arm's length and not let people get too close to not really engage relationally. And I don't think that's just a, a missions thing. I think... It's many that, I, I think it's something that a lot of us can relate to. Perhaps for you it was growing up and you had a best friend that moved away, moved out of town. Uh, my kids, when, when they were little, uh, I don't know, six, seven years ago, their cousins moved to Denver and it was so hard because they're like the same age and great friends and then, you know, all of a sudden they're halfway across the state and now they get to see each other a couple times a year. And maybe that was like your experience, or maybe it was as you grew up, you went to college and you had just a fantastic group of friends. Maybe they were the friends that really helped you stay connected to Jesus and, and really helped you get through. And then you like move on and all of a sudden you're not connecting anymore. You've had to say goodbye to that relationship. Or maybe for a lot of you, it was a deeper loss. Maybe it was actually the loss of a relationship, maybe through death. I mean, I think I, I know a lot in here that have lost someone very close to them. But I think even sometimes more painful than the pain of losing someone to death is, is being abandoned. And I know many of you have gone through a situation in your life where somebody walked away. Somebody made a promise and then they walked away and they moved on and your heart never has. And in those situations, you're left to feel like, how do, I, how do I do life without them? Oftentimes, there's that loneliness or that anxiety about all the things that you never did that now you have to do. And oftentimes, in those situations, there's this purposelessness. Like you found out how much of your direction was tied into a person, all of a sudden you feel purposeless. I think because of this... Uh, as humans, we just begin to close our hearts off to people. We keep people at a distance. We don't, we don't let people in. We begin to hold people at arm's length and don't really re-engage at the same level that we did in other relationships. And it's like this defense mechanism. And I think this often carries over into our relationship with God. Because a lot of times, like people who were your Jesus people, like aren't, there anymore, or um, it's uh, people that maybe you prayed so hard about something and the relationship or the situation didn't go the, the way that you hoped. And oftentimes, I think it's so easy for us to begin to, to functionally live our life where we say, I believe in God, I believe in a God who's alive and active and moving in life, but functionally, we live like he isn't there or we live like he doesn't care for us or we lose the anticipation that he's actually going to show up in our lives. And so we're just like, okay, I'll pray about something over in Africa, but, but here and now, I don't actually think or live my life like God is, is alive and active in my life. I think in those moments, we're faced with a choice. 
When we find ourselves in a situation where we, we, we find our hearts detaching, we're faced with a choice, and that is, will we allow loss to close off our hearts or will we stay open? Will we allow anxiety to paralyze us or will we lean in to trust in God? Will, will we hold God and others at a distance or will we engage again? And this is exactly where Jesus' friends, his closest disciples, find themselves in the text that we're going to look at today. It's in the upper room, and Jesus looks at these guys who had followed him for three years. They'd given up careers. They'd given up relationships. They'd given up on childhood hopes and dream because of the promise of following him, because they believed that he was the Messiah And they had a clear picture of what they thought it looked like. And they followed Jesus, and they saw lots of amazing things happen, and God used them powerfully. And they saw things they never would have dreamed of. And then they find themselves in the upper room, and lately Jesus has been talking more and more in these dark kind of terms, and they don't really understand it. And they're they're in the upper room, and Jesus has just washed their feet, and he's just then told them that one of them will betray him. And it's so hard to wrap their minds around. And then Jesus, as we saw last week in chapter 13, says, hey, listen up. He clearly tells them, I will be with you only a little while longer. And you're going to look for me. But where I'm going, you can't come. And they're like, what? And Peter is like, what? Peter's like, this is so disturbing to them that right after this, if you missed last week, go back and listen. Because it's highly, uh, what we talked about last week is a key distinctive that differentiates a follower of Jesus. But Peter misses it. It just goes right over Peter's head. Because he's like so spun out on what Jesus just said. He's like, Lord, where are you going? And Jesus says, you can't follow me now. And Peter says, are you kidding? I will give my life for you. And Jesus looks at him, I think, with compassion and love and sadness and says, really, Peter? Actually, before tonight is over, you're going to deny me three times. And in the midst of all this drama, Whereas disciples, they've just had this, this, this news that is so hard for them to wrap their minds around. Jesus then is going to begin to speak to them in this situation and give them some hope. And here's what he says in verse 14, verse 1. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Why does he say that? Because that's where they're at, right? Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. And so he starts with this thing. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Um, The chapter's going to end. Peace, I leave with you. Peace, I give to you. Again, he'll state, do not let your hearts be troubled. Don't be afraid. In fact, as you read through the Gospels, this is one of the the things that Jesus instructs us most frequently. Don't be afraid. Don't have anxiety. And it's so hard, isn't it? Because I think our natural state is being anxious about everything. Our, our natural state, when we experience a loss, when we experience a relationship, we, if there's this constant sense of anxiety that so many people struggle with. And, and Jesus has just dropped on them the biggest news that he is going away. And they have all this anxiety in their, in their hearts to what this looks like and all this confusion. And, and Jesus says, don't be afraid. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Instead, what? Belief. Belief. See, what Jesus is saying here, 
what he's saying is you grew up believing in a God that exists your whole life. You, you grew up celebrating like the Passover, which was God's uh, celebrating this remarkable deliverance from Egypt, from slavery. Like you grew up believing in the God who led his people and parted the, the Red Sea, who delivered his people who fed his people with manna. You grew up in a God with the idea of a God who is alive and active and present. And just like that, that same trust you had, I'm inviting you to place in me. I'm inviting you to believe in me like that. Will you believe that of me? And he's going to go on here in a minute and he's going to say some incredibly powerful things about who he is and why you can believe him like that. But the challenge is, hey, you're stuck in anxiety, you're stuck in fear, and you, there's an invitation, and that is to trust me. Are you going to trust me in your situation? Are you going to actually live like I'm a God who is alive and active and present? You know, one of the things I struggle with, I've read the scriptures all my life, I believe in the resurrection. I believe in a God who's alive and active and split the Red Sea and showed up all throughout the New Testament and did powerful, powerful things. And yet often, um, when it comes to my stuff, when it comes to my life, I find myself struggling to believe sometimes that God is actually really alive and active in my life, that he, that he wants to move in, in my circumstance, that, like, I know he cares, because I know the theology, John three sixteen. he so loved the world, cast your cares on him. I know that, but a lot of times that hasn't gone from my head to my heart. And I find myself in a, in, in a situation going, okay, God, I know this, and yet when I look at my life right now, where are you? Maybe you feel the same. See, the disappointments and losses in life have a way of beating faith out of us. And so many times people just end up sort of living as a shell of maybe who God created them to be. Like the faith that they had, they, at one point in their life, they had so much faith, they had so much trust in God, and yet through the losses and disappointments in life and the confusion and all the things that didn't go the way you expected them to go, all of a sudden you find yourself like you, you look back and go, wow, when I was younger, I had a lot more faith. I felt a lot closer to God. He goes on to give us even more, like, okay, believe in me. He says this then in verse 2, like, don't let your hearts be troubled. Why? We'll set it in, in proper reference here. He just told them he was going away. In verse 2, he says, my father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare, prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. He says, my, my father's house, speaking of where? Heaven. The realm of God. He says, there's many rooms. And the Greek idea behind here is like an abode. It's a, the idea is a place with your name on it. That's a, the other thing I used to love about YWAM. They have this ethic of hospitality. And whenever you go to a different place, I would love showing up because there's your name on the door. And like a little cool basket with all sorts of like candies that your parents didn't give you growing up. Well, maybe yours did. Um, mine were 
anti-sugar. So we didn't get a lot of it. Now I'm passing on to my kids. They're like, dad, right? But anyway, <laughs> like they were expecting you. This is your place. And here's the idea. This is your home. It's a beautiful picture. Your true home, he's saying. Like, this is your place, and it's a place of relationship, and it's waiting, and, it, and he's like, and I'm going to go prepare it, decorate it, and get it all ready. I got a whole crew. Yeah, extreme makeover, kind of like heaven edition, right? It's going to be amazing. I love it. Uh, we go on our Homes of Hope trip every year, and a lot of you have been on that trip. And uh, what I love about that is... Throughout this whole process, you know, we'll bring 50, 60, 70 people down. We'll build a couple of homes, two couple different teams. And at the end of this process, all the chaos and the paint and, you know, there's a house there. And almost every year, um, some of the members on the team who are really artistic, uh, they, they'll, they'll take a, a paintbrush out and paint the family's name like Familia Lopez, and there it'll be up on there, and the team will like put handprints, the little kids and stuff, and it's so special. And then you hand them those keys, and they enter into what is their now their true home. It's theirs. <laughs> it's a gift. It's given to them. And it's so powerful to see that moment where they enter into that, like, the true home that's really theirs and their security like they were before, maybe they have a dirt floor and a tarp. Now they have three windows and a locking door. And there's a sense of security. There's a sense of, oh, I'm home, right? Shameless plug. Um, our next trip is May 2023, so uh, Memorial Day. So put it on your calendar if you haven't been yet. Our, that value across the street, across the world that we have that we highlighted with that video, um, we want you involved both locally ministering to the community, but then my goal is to get every one of you on a mission trip at some point. So you can choose now, later, but we're going to get you one of these days. So um, it's a great trip for the family. Anyway, but there's a security, right? And, and Jesus presents us, like all throughout the scriptures, you see this, that there's a choice in life. You can either live like the deepest, truest reality is eternity or live like the deepest, truest reality is here and now. Your security, where your heart places your security, can either be like in your 401k, which I'm just guessing right now is looking more like a 201k. Um, it can either be there, or it can be in the fact that you have a loving Heavenly Father that cares for you, that knows your name, that is your sustainer and your provider. Those are two stark realities. And Jesus invites, believe in God, believe in me, believe in me. And see, I think so oftentimes we are depressed and anxious and fearful because the pain and the loss of here and now have overwhelmed the reality of eternity in our hearts. And he says, there's a home, your truest home. And you know what? The beauty of home is relationship. What does Jesus say? That this is a promise. I will come back and I will take you with me. The point is we get to be together. That's the thing that makes Home, home, isn't it? Is relationship. I, I will come back. I know I'm going to go away. But I'll come back. I'll take you with me. We'll be together forever. Jesus promises that death will not interrupt the intimacy we enjoy with him. I love it. A lot of you uh, in the church, we have a number of families that, that 
um, are fostering and moving towards adoption or have adopted. And I love it when I see the post pop up on Facebook, like forever home. And what's the point of that? That you've been adopted into relationship and you have a forever home. And it's all about relationship with him and intimacy with him. He goes on, he says this in verse four, you know the way to the place where I am going. And Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? See, they're still so confused about all this. They, don't, they won't get this till after the resurrection, till after Jesus and then the Holy Spirit like shows them and puts all the pieces together for them. They're so confused, they don't get it. And Thomas is like, what? This is doubt, doubting Thomas. I love it. Uh, we'll see him later in the, chapter, in the book. And they're like, we don't get it, Jesus. We don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? And Jesus says, oh, you know the way. How does that work? Jesus answered, verse six, I am the way. I am the way. You know me. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Pause and let the, the weight of that statement sink into you. I am, he says, which brings us back. This is one of what are called the ego a me statements as you go through John, which Jesus um, purposefully draws your mind back to Exodus when God appears to Moses in a burning bush and Moses asks, who should I say is sending me when the people ask, who is this God? And he says, I am that I am. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father. Like relationship with God the Father, relationship with God only comes through me. You know, in the early church, uh, the early Christian movement was called the way before they were ever called Christians. Later on, like in Antioch is where they first became called Christians. And it was kind of a derogatory term. Like it kind of meant little Christ. And they kind of took it on. Like, you know, some of you took on shorty. You're like, all right, I'm just going to go with it. I'm shorty. (laughs) They took on the name Christians, but first they were called the way. And, and, And we believe that's because This is something that so stuck out to the early followers of Jesus as he said, I am the way. Probably multiple times, even though it's recorded here in John once. I am the way, the truth, the life. And so this early movement of his followers is just called the way. That's what they were called. And what's interesting about this is Jesus Jesus doesn't just show us the way to the Father. He says, I am the way to the Father. Take that in. Let it sink in. He's like, Philip, you know the way. Philip's like, I I don't know where. And Jesus is like, no, you don't get it. You know the way. And so many times we are so spun out on the destination and on trying to figure out the next step of the journey that we miss the depth of relationship. Hey, you know the way. What you're looking for, you're going to find in in a depth of relationship with me. That's what Jesus is saying here. You know the way. And he says, I'm the truth. Let me just say, maybe you struggle with that here. Maybe you're just here. You're, you know, 
investigating God and church in the Bible, and we're so glad you're here, but maybe you struggle with that. Um, you have a hard time with the Christian faith because of what you see as Christianity's exclusive truth claims. And the general idea is, well, you know, the Buddhists, the Muslims, the Hindus, man, it's all pointing to a deeper truth. Now, there's a saying, and I think it's very true, and that's all truth is God's truth. And so you will find you will find some of God's truth in a lot of different belief systems, but all true truth points to Jesus. And the implication is that there's not really a way or a truth, but it all is just pointing towards a deeper truth. The implication of that is that the divine really is unknowable. And you just sort of stumble along and hope you're right. And in the midst of that, Jesus comes and says, no, I am the truth. I am the truth. See, ultimately, it's not the claims of Christianity that you have to wrestle with. It is what Jesus says about himself. You have to deal with that in life. See, the Christian faith makes a truth claim that's different from any other religious system in the world. But they didn't just come up with it out of thin air. It's based on what Jesus said. I am the truth. It's based on the fact that Jesus predicted his own death and resurrection and then pulled it off. It's based on the incredible things that Jesus did. And then Jesus says, I am the truth. You have to wrestle with that. Because here's, here's the truth. Your truth will likely deceive you because it'll end up being about you. Have you noticed that we're pretty good at lying to ourselves and telling ourselves the thing we want to hear? Jesus says, no, if you want to be rooted in what actually is, look at me. And then he says, I'm the life. That you can look for life in all kinds of places and never find what you're searching for. Where true life is found, and earlier in John, what does he say? Life and life abundantly is with me. A couple chapters down, our next chapter, he's going to say, you, you want to know how you experience that life? It's like a vine and a branch. You got to stay connected. You got to stay deep in relationship with me. And the question really is, do you know him? Do you know Jesus? It's, I think it's the most important question. Well, I know it's the most important question you can, you can answer in this life. Who, like, you got to wrestle with what Jesus says here. He goes on, he says this, and what he just said, this incredibly powerful statement, the way, the truth, the life, this bold claim, it's rooted in where Jesus comes from. It's rooted in who Jesus is. See, the idea that Jesus was just a good moral teacher, um, just this one passage alone makes that impossible to believe. L listen to this. He goes on. He says, if you really know me, you will know my father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. And Philip said, Lord, show us the father and that will be enough for us. <laughs> Philip's thinking Moses. Remember on, on Mount Sinai? M Moses is like, God, show me your glory. Philip's like, just show us, show us the Father. 
And Jesus says this powerful, profound thing. Verse 9, Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip? Even after I've been among you such a long time, anyone who has seen the Father, or anyone who has seen me, has seen the Father. Just pause, think about that. Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say? Show us the Father. Don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? You want to know how I can speak out I am the truth? Here's how. He goes on, the words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Verse 11, believe me when I say I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the work themselves. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I and the Father, other places, I and the Father are one. There's a unity. See, if you want to understand the reality of who Jesus claims to be, you have to understand what we, uh, the way that John opens his book. I know we've been preaching through it for a while, so you might not remember because it's been a while. Some of you have only been with us a little while, but John starts his book, in the beginning was the word, and he tells us later, he's speaking of Jesus. In the beginning was the word, the logos, this Greek idea of the thing, the substance, the, the logic, the, the thing that holds the universe together, and he co-ops that, and he says it's not an impersonal force, it's a person. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was what? Was God. He was with God in the beginning. So there's a uniqueness and a oneness Through him all things were made, and without him nothing was made that has been made. He's the creator of the whole universe. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. So you see this this huge idea of God in Christ, the word, not a creature, not created like you and I. Always existing. There was never a time when he didn't exist. And then we're told also in John 1 that the word became flesh. In Philippians, he took on flesh. He took on the constraints of humanity and became, and he made his dwelling among us. And it says, and we have seen his glory. We've seen him. Later on in in verse 18, it will say, no one has seen God but the one and only Son, who is himself God and who is in closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. See, what Philip is like, show me your glory. You remember what Moses asked? If you grew up in church on the mountain, and Moses was called a friend of God, and he asked God, show me your glory. I want to see you. And God says what? You can't handle it, buddy. Paraphrase. He says, well, I'll tell you what, I'll, I'll show you the idea in the Hebrew is, uh, he says my back, but it's actually the idea in the Hebrew is I'll show you the place I've just been. Like I'll pass before you, hide you in the cleft of the rock, pass before, and then, and that's what God did. And, and as God passes by, what does he say? My name, he proclaims his name. That'll be important here in just a second. The Lord, the Lord, gracious and compassionate, slow to anger. He goes on. And, and it lit Moses up, literally. 
Moses comes down from the mountain, his old face is glowing. It freaked everybody out. They're like, put something over your face. You're freaking us out. If you want to understand why Jesus claims to be the way, the truth, and the life, you got to understand who Jesus says he is. <laughs> We've seen his glory. And the idea here is Jesus, God packaged himself in a way that humanity could actually see him. No one can see God. You would die. You can't, your brain, your human brain can't comprehend it, can't take it. And yet Jesus comes in a way that he can relate to us. You've seen me, you've seen the Father. You want to understand God? You look at Jesus. You want to know the heart of God? Look at Jesus. The same Jesus who was washing their feet, who was loving, who was caring, who reached out with compassion, who healed the sick, who rebuked the proud religious leaders. You want to know the heart of God? Look at Jesus. This is where the, perhaps this passage, as much as any other in Scripture, and there's so many more throughout the New Testament, show us in just a little bit, we'll see the Holy Spirit. Jesus will talk about the Holy Spirit. This thing that we refer to as the the Trinity, that God is three in one. Three in one. And, we, and we, we think, like, how can that be? Well, can you comprehend even the complexity of one of the cells in your body? No. If you studied it, I've studied it a little bit. It's fascinating. It's like, we, we can't even comprehend that. Can you comprehend the size of the universe? I mean, you start talking about the number of light years away, you know, speed of light, and it's like quintillion and all these crazy numbers you've never even heard about before. Just numbers with lots of zeros. And it's like our brain just like can't comprehend that. But you look outside at night and go, wow, the creator of all that. You think you as a finite human being can really wrap your mind around an infinite God? No. Jesus, he says, I'm the way. I'm the truth. I'm alive. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. He goes on. He says this, very truly I tell you. Now just sit in this for a minute because this is, these chapters, I'm telling you, you can't just like read them and, and walk away. You need to take them and you need to like, Spend some time. You need to get alone. You need to read through this whole passage, 13 through 17, like in one sitting. And then you need to ponder it and, and think about it and let the words sink into your heart. He says this in verse 12. Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I've been doing. And they will do even greater things than these because I'm going to the Father. And I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. Just pause and, and let that sink in for a minute. Think about that. Because here's what I, I know about my life is I, I don't think I adequately live in the reality of what Jesus stated there. I don't think I have the kind of faith or that much trust or anticipation 
that God wants to show up in, in a powerful way in my life in the day in and the day out and use me for his purposes. I think I lose sight of that so easily. Just let it sink in. And Here's what usually happens. There's two tendencies people have. One is to sort of read this and go, wow, uh, that's kind of crazy, and just dismiss it. Like somehow Jesus didn't say it. The second is to make it about me. Right? Remember that old, uh, there's an old Janis Joplin song I heard a while ago. Way before my time, but some of you might be just old enough to remember. Oh, Lord, won't you buy me a Mercedes Benz? Remember that? My friends all drive, how do they go? I don't know. Porsches? Yeah, that's right. And we make this whole thing about us that it, so in Jesus' name just becomes a tagline that we think we can add to a prayer in order to somehow leverage God into anything we want, like it's all about us. Okay, that, you're misunderstanding the name. What is the name? We just talked about it. It's the character. It's the heart. It's the purpose of God. See, John, writing later in one of his letters, he says this, this is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And the idea here is as you begin to grow deeper into the heart and grow in relationship with God and your heart aligns with his purposes, your prayers are powerful. And he wants to use them to accomplish great things for his kingdom and his purposes on this earth. Are you living like that? And get this too, his works aren't just the miraculous things he did, they are. But it's the compassion, it's the service, it's the humility, it's the love, it's the speaking of truth. He's calling you to live like that. Not on your own power, but by his power. And here's, he gets to this, and this is where we're going to end. He says this, if you love me, keep my commands. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. The spirit of truth. He's speaking of the Holy Spirit. He makes that clear a little bit later. The spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But what? You know him. His relationship. There's, there's, you, you know him, for he lives with you and he will be in you. And Jesus begins here to promise the Holy Spirit. In fact, later he's going to say, he's going to promise the Spirit. He's going to say, it's actually better that I leave. And they are like, really, Jesus? And I think we're, we, we feel the same way sometimes. Really? I mean, it would be so amazing if you're right here. Jesus, it would be better than that I go away because Jesus, God the Son in human form, was one place at one time, ministering in one place at one time. And the promise of the Holy Spirit is that he indwells you and he indwells me and he works mightily and he brings truth and conviction and does powerful things through the life of every believer on the planet that walks with him and grows in knowledge and relationship with him. The spirit of truth 
He'll be called also the Spirit of Christ, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God. Later in this chapter, we'll see that he says, both the Father and the Son together are going to indwell you. Through what? His Spirit. His Spirit. Beautiful picture of the Trinity. And the question is this. I want to invite Winston up as we close. Question is this. Do you know him? I've got one one question for you to wrestle with this week, and I've stated it in two slightly different ways. The first is this. Do you know him? Do you know the way, the truth, and the life? Or has the chaos or the disappointment or the losses or the distraction of life um, throughout that, will you wrestle through that to discover who Jesus is? He came to this earth, and he And he died for you, and he offers you life in him. And he's coming again to judge the living and the dead. You will stand before him. Do you know him? Do you have a relationship? Have you embraced the life that he offers? It's the most important question you can get answered in your life is who who is Jesus? The question isn't like how how the church hurt you or Christians hurt you, although I, I understand like there's hypocrites in the church. At some point, we've likely all been one. And some of you have really been hurt deeply because of that. But that's not the question. That's not Jesus. That's people who weren't following him very well. The question is, do you know Jesus? Have you wrestled with with him? Have you accepted and embraced the offer that he gives you to experience life and truth? to bring you into relationship with him and with the Father? Do you know Jesus? Are you going to experience his life, both now and in eternity? Do you know him? And the second, for all you that would answer that yes, let me rephrase that. Do you know him? Are you pursuing deeper relationship with him? Are you growing in him? Or has the pain of life and the disappointment with circumstances, that sense of loss in your life, has it allowed your heart to kind of grow calloused? Have you quit believing God for big things in your life? I think if that's you, he's inviting you today to know him in a whole deeper way. The Apostle Paul, praying for us, said said this, I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love. Do you understand how much he loves you? That he loves you. He didn't just love you to save you. He loved you because he actually loves you. He sees what you're going through. He knows the struggles. And he loves you. That you may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And what? And that you can know this love that surpasses knowledge. I'm not just talking about, oh yeah, I know he loves me. No, it surpasses knowledge. This is something you get on a heart level. 
This is a work that the Holy Spirit has to do in you. So that what? That you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Would you stand? Now, here's what I want to do this morning is, is I want to give you an opportunity to respond to him. Like this message, like I said, is just the start. Some of you, you need to take this passage and you need to take this couple chapters and just get alone with the Lord this week because it's been a long time. And you need to allow it to sort of wash over your heart and, say, and, and just say, God, fill me again with that love because I feel empty because I feel dry because I feel like a shell of, of the follower that I used to be. I used to have so much faith and anticipation that you're alive, and now I just sort of am walking through my life. He wants to bring that, to fan that fire in your heart, to bring that closeness and intimacy back. You have to embrace it. You have to embrace it. For others, your chances to say yes to him for the first time here today. And so as we bow our heads and close our eyes, if there's that area in your life where, where you know, man, God, would you just rekindle life and faith in my heart? Just respond to him. Maybe that looks like just stretching your hands out. It's nothing magical. It's just a posture of receiving from God. Just saying, Lord, I need you. Holy Spirit, would you come fill my heart again afresh and new? And for those of you that maybe you've never responded to him for the first time, why don't you do that right now? Just tell him you need him. Ask him to forgive your sins. Place your faith and trust fully in what he did at the cross and commit your life to following him. Receive the eternal life he offers. Just cry out to him. Lord, would you come? Holy Spirit, move. Bring life, bring healing. Rekindle faith. We love you. We pray these things in your name, the name of Jesus. Amen.